This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am Jonathan Mayo, along with my... Prospecty partner, partner in prospect, Jim Callis, our host, our hero, Jason Ralph is uh, getting some well-deserved time off. And so it's just the two of us, Jim, the odd couple. I don't know if we're the odd couple. Are you Oscar Madison or Felix Unger? I refuse to answer that question. I have a feeling that you are Felix Unger. Some of each. I would actually describe both of us as probably some of each. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. And people who are listening to this. I certainly am not a clean freak. So who, uh, like, as I look at the dust in my pot, my office here, <laughs> Felix Unger would not put up with this. I think the fact that we're referencing the odd couple, by the way, just shows us that we're What a old. great show, though. What a great oh, show. Fantastic. And one of the few times I think a TV show based off of a movie was as good, if not better. Anyway, we're already digressing. We haven't even started yet. Uh, and we've got, you know, a good amount to talk about. We're, uh, I, I feel that when the first mock draft lands, and this, uh, this one was penned by you, that's really like, we're, we're in it. We're, we're, <laughs> we're really in draft season. I, I chuckled because I had the same thought. Like, because, you know, we do our first draft list in December, right around winter meetings time. And mm-hmm. then because we're doing the top 100 and the top 30s and running around spring training, like we're just not doing the draft for about three months. And then when we get back from spring training, we dive back in and we do the 150. And, and yeah, no, I, I, I had the, the same thought when we were getting ready to come on the show, like, like that, that, that is the exact same phrasing in my head that like, it's real now, like we're doing <laughs> mock drafts. We've got a new top 150. We've updated it. And now I feel like we're shifted and it feels like we're about 90, 95% draft from here through July. Yeah. I have certain like kind of, benchmarks you know along the way when i when i go to uh national high school invitational in late march that's always like the first sign the the draft crocuses are just starting to bud and then sometimes they get frozen um because we have you know the start of the minor league season and and things like that but that's always like i'm around you know all the scouts and we're looking at that year's draft class and and things like that but the mocks uh, you know, we're going to dig into your, your first one in a little bit and, you know, talk a little bit about the, you know, the, the schedule, we spaced them out for now with the draft, not until July. Uh, we know people love them. Uh, but at a certain point in time, there's only so many you can do. So we'll space them out every two weeks for the time being, and then we'll get to weekly as we get closer. We're also going to go into the, the, the Jim Callis time machine. Uh, with your annual redrafting of the draft from 10 years ago. So we'll take a look at the 2013 draft. We don't want to ignore minor league players, so we're going to dig into this week's prospect team of the week, led by uh, a very recent friend of the pod. And as always, we will finish things off with a question from the listener mailbag. Uh, And uh, it's not surprisingly, we've chosen one that asks about the mock draft. 
All right. The mock draft. Jim, I find, you know, for me, like doing the first one, it's an arduous process. It's sort of fun. I'm like, did you did you enjoy doing this first one? It's so far out that it's not like there's any expectation that you're going to, you know, get it a hundred percent right now i got uh, unless you're just gonna let this I, I i got them all right all 28 you're, i went you're, gonna, you're gonna let it ride i'm done you're like, just gonna yeah. refile the same mock every week i'm telling you right now it's a lock the astros are taking ralphie velasquez nothing is gonna change at 28 <laughs> it, but no you know, it's funny i think for whatever reason you often wind up doing the first mock draft yeah um and i didn't mind it, it like in some ways, it, it, it's it's harder in that you're so far out that there's so little real intel out there in terms of like, especially like even in the top five, but you like, especially by the time you get to like even the 10th pick, like, oh, like who are the Marlins on? Like, they don't know who's really going to be there. Um, and like, then you get to the teens, there, there's no shot. So, but like, yeah, I actually found it like maybe more liberating because there was no self-imposed pressure. Like, oh man, like I got, like I worked hard on it and I you know, contacted a bunch of people, but it wasn't like, Oh, I got to nail this. Cause a, I think when I turned it in, there were 66 days before the draft when I turned it in and B, um, instead of, of, of doing, cause you know, I, I, I like to try to cover every possibility. So like I'll have the giants at 16, Hey, they're looking at this guy and if he's not available, this and this, but they'd really like this guy to fall to him. There's none of that now because like this right. one, it's like, I'm early. giving you a name and I'm telling you who the player is and then I'm moving on. So um, it wasn't any like, oh man, you know, the twins are conflicted. Should they take Dolander? Should they take Max Clark? You know, you know, can one of the guys fall? Like there's none of that. So like in some ways it, it was harder because there's less concrete information, but it was easier because you aren't trying to sit there and mention six possibilities for the, the, the Astros at 28. So right, um, right. I didn't mind it at all. And then the weird thing is because of our schedule, which I think is a good schedule, like I realized when I got done, like I don't have to do another mock draft for a month, um, which seems like a long time. So um, you can do some on your own, you know. If you yeah, like, who knows? Like who knows? I may you may get my next news. Like, I have a new, uh, pipeline newsletter coming out today, but I have another one in three weeks, and maybe I'll be like, oh man, I I have the itch. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> I mean, see. That's, that's what I did for my uh, you know for my newsletter last week. You know, I talked to a scouting director who basically made a top not top 10 with me. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that I think even this far out are clear, you know, and and this is not a surprise to anyone who listens to to our podcast on a regular basis or reads our stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the top of the draft is still the same two guys from LSU and in outfielder Dylan Cruz and right-hander Paul Skeens. You have them go one, two in that order. The pirates taking the outfielder and the nationals taking Skeens. And then, you know, the the top five, I think, has kind of separated itself. Uh, and, you know, correct me if I'm I'm wrong here, but I think that's kind of where the there's a little bit of a separator. And then three through five, you can sort of shuffle in a bunch of different ways for for this go around. You have the Tigers taking Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida, the Rangers taking North Carolina prep outfielder Walker Jenkins and the twins taking Indiana outfielder Max Clark. And that's the, the top five. And I, I, I got to be honest with you, Jim, not only do I see that that is a separation barring, obviously things happen, teams decide to cut deals or, or, or what have you. 
I don't see any other player jumping into that top five. Yeah, I mean, we do have time. I mean, I do think the one guy who could in the right situation is Chase Dolander at Tennessee, who's just had a Fair. strange year. You know, it's funny. I came into the year saying he was the best college pitching prospect since Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, and now that's it's clearly Paul Skeens. And you could still see the stuff. He's just been a little off. Like, he hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been as good. And so I think compared to his 2022 self, Dolander has been a disappointment. Um, I think if you compare him to the rest of this class of pitchers, it's not a very strong pitching class, especially on the college side. It drops off pretty quick. So I could see potentially if he finishes strong, that he could go in the top five, but I agree with you. He's he's not like the top five that, that you laid out, you know, Cruz, Skeens, Langford, Jenkins, Clark. That 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 is the clear top five. Like like if if our fearless leader, Jason Ratliff, listens to this podcast, this is how we can test and find out if he listens, Jonathan. We we, we really <laughs> should do a story as it gets a little bit later, maybe for when we release the two hundred, um, on or, or, or even a little bit later, where we get a number of people to rank the top five players in order. Um, you know, like we, we've done like... Oh, like, a, like an executive poll doing that. Yeah, well, because like you know, we've done like Torkelson versus Martin in the past or Leiter yeah. versus Rocker. Um, I think you did one on the shortstops, the high school shortstops yeah. from a couple of years ago. Like it would be just to get how many people to line these guys up in order and explain, explain their reasoning. Um, would be an interesting story. So we'll see if Jason hears that and, and says, yes, it's a good idea or, or never speaks of it again. But, um, but yeah, I do think that is the clear top five. And then, you know, I, I do think, you know, your guys like Grand Canyon shortstop, Jacob Wilson, Ole Miss shortstop, Jacob Gonzalez, a lot of shortstops, you know, Arjun Namala from high school kid from Florida, Colin Houck, high school kid from Georgia. I think those guys are going to go pretty good. And, and the, the next couple college pitchers like Rhett Lauder, and from uh, from Wake Forest and, and Hurston Walter from Florida yep. going to go pretty quick. And then I think it's, it, it, it you know, anything goes. It, it's hard to figure out exactly who's going to go where. Yeah. And, 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 you know, people should go check out the, check out the story, but you had Wilson going six to the A's Gonzalez, who you mentioned to the Reds at seven, Namala eight to the Royals, Dolander nine to the Rockies, and then Noble Meyer, the first high school arm going 10 to, the Marlins, uh, you know, you had Louder and Waldrop in the 11 to 15 range. And, you know, the, the those guys are interesting. You know, Waldrop, the stuff is unbelievable. And, this, you know, when I was checking in, because that's my area, when we were just in, in terms of our top 150, his numbers, his performance has not been great. But everybody told me, like, just based on the pure stuff, you can't drop him too far. Um, but at a certain point in time, you know, results do matter. So it'll be very interesting to see the guy in that top 15 group who I could see maybe continuing to sneak up is Kyle Teal, who you put 13 to the Cubs. College catcher has had an unbelievable year with the bat and definitely can stick behind the plate. And I just I could see him sneaking up into into that uh into that top 10 um just because of the the, the combination of his skills yeah no I, I think that's very fair i mean it's it's not a good catching draft he's the only college catcher we have in the first round 
We have one high school catcher in the first round. And, you know, Teal was a guy who came into the year. Everybody was, was sold on the defense. You know, he's got a good arm. He's athletic behind the plate. But he had 276 as a sophomore at UVA, and there was a lot of questions on his bat. And the last time I checked, it was about a week ago, I think he was hitting 423, having a great year at the plate. And, you know, I don't think you're worried about him. You know, but I think there was some thought coming into the year, like, okay, he could, he's definitely a catcher, but does he hit enough, or is he more going to be that defensive-minded backup? And he's having a great year. And I agree. Because, like, like I said, after that top five, like, you could you could make a case for – especially when you're talking about position value and whether these other guys stay at short, like you want to talk about the college players, you can make a case for him over Jacob Wilson. You can make a case for him over Jacob Gonzalez. Um, you could definitely do that. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I could see him going in the top 10 uh, easily to somebody. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think it'll be interesting. The impact that he has shown makes him a lot more intriguing who who else on on your mock? And again, especially that back end, you know, it's going to change a lot. And I, I, you know, I know for my early ones, I usually try to, will sneak in a name or two. Not that I have huge conviction that this player is going to make it, but his name is coming up in first round conversations. I want to reflect that that's being talked about in the industry. Do you have any guys like that in the you know maybe in the back half of of the first round of your mock? Yeah, I mean, I guess two guys I could see moving up because they're getting a lot of support and they haven't been super hyped yet. One of them is Thomas White, you know, high school left-hander, best high school lefty in the draft. I guess best lefty in the draft, right? Because there, there isn't a college lefty. Yeah. And the college lefties are pretty thin. And, you know, he's been a little inconsistent, but he's throwing really well lately. And you never know where the high school guys are going to go because they often get pushed down and paid more with somebody's second pick than just going in the first round. But I think Thomas White's a guy who could go a lot closer to the top 10. I, you know, I had him at 20 and then Colt Emerson's another high school shortstop, um, advanced hitter, former all state wide receiver. You know, maybe he winds up at third base, but he can really, really hit. He's interesting. And he's a name. Everybody like, like when he comes up, uh, everybody just immediately says, Oh, that guy's a definite first rounder. Like, like no doubt. Um, and I think Colt Emerson's got a little helium. I didn't have anybody. I don't think I had anybody super crazy, no, like, like I think, like I think you mentioned to me, the lowest ranked guy on the top uh, in the first twenty eight picks that I had was Warren Watts Brown of Oklahoma State is at number thirty four, and like it's interesting. Like I'm not completely sold he's a lock first rounder, other than he, he's he's the fifth best college starting pitcher or college pitcher, and I don't even know who number six is. I know what our, our list says, but there's no consensus after 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 Watts Brown. And I think he benefits from the market more than people are saying, oh, this guy's a slam dunk first rounder. Um, so he's probably, I don't know, the the craziest name because he, he ranks 34th and I had him going 27. So. Yeah, which is not, not like, so we'll, wacky. Well, we'll get some, like, I guess when you do your next mock, um, I haven't kept up with the last week as to who's really made a move, but there might be somebody we have ranked 72 who we're going to have to push up. Like, I, I, like I'll throw out Alex Clemmie's a name who comes up a lot. Not necessarily as a first rounder, but as a guy from Rhode Island who's got one of the better high school kid, one of the better arms in the draft, but the control can be uh, a little scattered. That's right. put it kindly. But like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if Alex Clemmie's continued to throw well, and I haven't kept up on it, and, and he's your guy, like that might be a guy who we have, I think, what, ranked 61st right now. That maybe you get into the next mock, but I, you know, it's I, I pretty much hit the ball down the middle of the fairway. Although this came out on the heels of us of us updating our top 150 list, 
So theoretically, guys we thought were going to go in the first round should be ranked fairly high on our list. Right. No, the timing the the timing is good, and we will you know when we expand our 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 overall list to two hundred, and you know a reminder that that list is based on talent and to talent alone. We try not to think about signability or who's going to go where, but obviously there's going to be some crossover, but when we expand to 200, we'll also update the order. So if there's someone making a, a, a late charge, uh, he will get moved up that list. You know, I'm thinking like Jackson Merrill uh, from drafts gone by. I think guys like that who are not necessarily pop-up guys, but guys who, you know, continue to perform well as the spring went on a lot of times it's those cold weather state guys who aren't seen um so it'll be interesting to see how it, it changes i'm um i'm ready to to dig into mine next week that will be the, the the first go around for for me um and then uh you know we'll, we'll have to see who uh who decides to expand past 28 picks first yeah, you can, nope. it's. It felt early. Like I, I oh, feel it, like we'll, it, it, it totally. Is. I feel like we'll probably do thirty nine, which takes you through the supplemental first round. You know, probably name only. Um, especially <laughs> the night before the draft at two in the morning, we don't want to have to write up an ele- extra eleven guys. But but we'll go name only. That that seems like a honestly, Jonathan, like a, a June project. Um, at some point in June to go to the. Well, well we just spoke it into existence, so uh, I think that's fine. But I can guarantee you one thing. Whoever does it first, the other person is going to curse that person for having done it first. Eh, if you go names only, I think it's okay. Because <laughs> it's usually me. Because usually what happens, like, but my, my thinking usually is I'll get to the point where I have, like this year there's 28 first round picks. Like I'll have like 35 guys who I feel like deserve first round consideration. So you might as well. And I'll be like, you know yeah. what? I have the names. I'll, I'm just going to put these, uh, you know, that's, that's at least what I did last year, like at some point, I think in June. So we'll see. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to stick with Draft Talk when we return, but we're going to turn the clock back to 2013. Coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis. We are keeping with our draft theme, but we're going to go back in time. Jim's got his DeLorean at the ready. Today is all about referencing older movies um, and TV shows. But this is something you've been doing, I mean, forever, uh, these redrafts. And... This year, uh, you know, we go back 10 years, uh, and it makes a lot of sense to do that because you really can get a sense of what a draft clack looks like. Even going back five years really isn't enough time uh, because some guys are just getting to the big leagues or haven't even gotten there yet. 
uh, but f- 10 years, you get a sense, uh, a good sense. And the, the 2013 draft class is one that um, maybe, maybe not the strongest draft <laughs> class ever. Some very, very good players. Uh, for those who don't remember, the top 10 in 2013 went like this. Mark Appel went number one to the Astros. Chris Bryant went two to the Cubs. John Gray went three to the Rockies. Hide your Cole... children. Don't expose your children to the rest of this top 10. Go ahead. <laughs> Cole Stewart, four to the Twins. Clint Frazier went to uh, Cleveland at five. Colin Moran uh, was the Marlins pick at six. Trey Ball uh, was the Red Sox pick at seven. Uh, Hunter Dozier, Austin Meadows, Phil Bickford rounded out the, the top 10. So obviously, not a, not a lot of household names uh, emerged from from this draft, and so re, re, redrafting it, it was you know it's a good challenge. Uh, now the one thing for sure is that there is a clear top player from this draft class. <laughs> that that was the easy part of the story, Jonathan. That that, that was the easiest part. So, uh, well, go ahead. I mean, but, he was he was a first rounder. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, Aaron Judge, yeah. he went 32nd overall. And the interesting thing was there was some concern, I, I think, you know, when people were scouting him as to how much of his power he was going get, to get into. Even if you look in the minors, he didn't put up huge power numbers. Yeah, he didn't like at Fresno AAA. State either. No, and like like as a sophomore, he only hit, like I think it was like four home runs. He had two of them off Mark Appel when Mark Appel, you know, went was a first-round pick that year as well. He had a good cape. He had a good – um Good junior season at Fresno State, but he did, it wasn't like he went out and like Chris Bryant out homered three quarters of the team. And this was an era too when the bats in college were a mess. Uh, UCLA won the College World Series that year, hit 19 home runs as a team in 66 games. <laughs> there were th- anyway, I could I could get on about how the power was down that year, but um, so there were questions as to how much of his power is really like Aaron Judge. It was interesting. Was very disciplined and was more concerned with driving the ball gap to gap. I remember Jonathan. We saw that in the fall league the year he was in the fall league and he played well, like. And, you know, he was hurt early in his career, so he didn't get to the big leagues at a, at a super young age. But anyway, Aaron Judge, clearly, clearly the best player in this draft. Um, and interestingly, not even the Yankees' top picks. They had three first-round picks. He was. Do you, do you remember who their first first-round pick was, Jonathan, without looking? I do not. That would be Eric Jugailo, Notre Dame third baseman. Oh, that's right. Um, who I think wound up his biggest claim to fame is I think he was in the Aroldis Chapman trade when the, when the Reds had to trade Chapman. And then they took Ian Clark in one pick behind Aaron judge at 33. And neither of those guys played in the big leagues, but Aaron, Aaron judge, obviously very good. And after that, it gets murky. You know, you, we were talking about like in retrospect, this draft was not a, a very good draft. Like, so for the redraft story, I, I do the whole first round. So it's 33 first round picks that year. How many actual first rounders, would go in the first round if we redrafted it today? Uh, well, I, unfortunately, I have your spreadsheet right in well, front of me. Well, but some of those are supplemental first-round picks because it's uh, – Right. Don't count. Don't look at um, it. I'm going to try not to count. Not a lot. Six. Nine, which is okay. an incredibly low number. Only yes. three, three of the top 12 picks made it. Um there were six double-digit draft picks, so there were nearly as many double-digit draft picks as first-round picks. And in the first round alone, eight players achieved five WAR wins above replacement according to Baseball Reference. 
nine players have achieved negative war. So kind of a mess trying to, to redraft. And the one thing I always try to point out before we get to the top of the list is it, I, I, my favorite part, I think, of doing these stories is, is it shows what is a reasonable expectation from the first round. Like when, whenever you hear first round pick in any sport, you don't necessarily think Hall of Famer, but you're thinking this guy's a cornerstone. We're going to build around this guy. Like as a Steelers fan, Jonathan, I'm excited about Broderick Jones. He's our left tackle. We've got that nailed down for 10 years. But these guys don't pan out in, in all these sports. I, I'm here in Chicago, and we just won the draft lottery last night. So Connor Bedard's going to be a Blackhawk. And he's a generational talent. So we'll, we'll think Hall of Fame. But like, you dream big on these guys. But the reality, in a typical draft, you have five or six stars. This, this draft, 2013, did not have that. Then you have another you know, dozen to two dozen pretty competent players. And then it's guys who kind of have up and down careers or cups of coffee or whatever. But the, but the most illustrative point to me every year when I do this is, who's at the end of the first round? Who goes at the end of the first round? Because it puts in perspective how tough it is, you know, the drafts, you know, the draft is tough and you know, how, you know, you don't, you, all these guys aren't going to become superstars, but the, the bottom three, three or four guys on my list right now, I'm still playing with the order are Mitch Garver, Michael Lorenzen, Trevor Williams and Luke and, and Corey Knable, Luke Voigt just missed. Those guys I'm saying, if we redrafted Jonathan would be first round picks. And I don't think if, if I, if I, if you're thinking about those guys, but it comes to mind, like, oh, that guy was one of the best players in 2013 draft, but they were. It's just, it's crazy right. how hard the draft is. Yeah, it, it, I mean, that's the biggest always the takeaway, right? That major leaguers come from everywhere and they miss in the first round, and then late round picks become <clears throat> really good players. And you know, case in point, you're you're the five players that you have kind of grouped at the top. After you know, Aaron Judge, as you said, <clears throat> is the is the clear leader. Chris Bryant, you know, is the one guy from the top of the draft who still belongs up there, even if he's tailed off lately. You've got Cody Bellinger, uh, you know, who was a fourth round pick, but, uh, you know, got got paid better. You, than you that. know what's, what was funny about Cody Bellinger was I heard the story that one of their analytics guys told the scouting department, what a terrible pick. Like, I guess they didn't like his, I, I don't know what it was about him. Cody did not hit for power until a couple of years in his pro career. But I always heard the story that the Dodgers analytic department told the scouting department huh. that that's a terrible pick. Well, and and this is an interesting, he's an interesting guy just because, you know, the way he started out, he it looked like he might be right up there with Aaron Judge. And then he tailed off and now he's sort of having a, a renaissance. Uh, and, uh, and then well, you you're right. An I mean, if, if we did this, Jonathan, if we did this story... After the 2020 season, I mean, I'm sorry, after the 2019 season, I think Cody Bellinger would have been number one on this list. Like he's, he's younger than Aaron Judge. He was healthier. Right. He was the MVP in 2019 and a gold glove winner. Uh, you know, even in the pandemic year, he wasn't as dominant, but he was fine. And then he kind of dropped. A, he, he was a hard one to figure out exactly what to do with because he dropped off the cliff the last two years in L.A. And, you know, a month into this season, he's playing well in Chicago. I, I kind of gave him credit when I was thinking about it. And, you know, like he and Bryant don't ha haven't been as strong recently as, as the next couple of guys on the list, Jeff McNeil and Tim Anderson, but they've accomplished so much. They were both MVPs. They both won World Series. I was like, yeah, I kind of like that. That's the tiebreaker. But it's like it's interesting to me. Jeff McNeil was a 12th round pick. Like he wasn't even a, a day two pick and it took him a while to get going. Um and, you know, I sit here and I play around with how the guys have done the last couple of years and what they might do in the future. If you actually project 
based on recent performance, it, it's not inconceivable that Jeff McNeil could be number two on this list. Yeah, I mean, won a batting done. title last last year, and you know, the, he is kind of the proof of why you don't do this story five years out. Because in 2018, that was his rookie year. He didn't make it to the big leagues. You know, he was 26. Um, you know, as you said, it took him a little while to to get himself going, and he has since, uh, you know, made two All Star teams, won a Silver Slugger award. Uh, he's turned himself into a nice little offensive player, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, we'll see he's you know north of 30 now, obviously. So we'll see how that continues. But the fact that he is in the top five, I mean, I love it. I love to see a guy like that who signed for $50,000 as a 12th rounder, um, make his way into even into, into this conversation at all. Any other guys, Jim, from this draft that sort of stood out to you guys who, you know, you mentioned some of these late round picks, you know, guys who are, you, you think are going to sneak into your first round or anywhere in the first round who you wouldn't have guessed that at the time of the draft <laughs> or even five years ago. Well, I, Nestor Cortez would be the captain of that team. Yep. I mean, he was 36 rounder, you know, 16 rounds later than the draft goes now. Um, one of the best pitchers on this list. Um, so, he, so he's one. He, he's clearly one. Mike Jastrzemski is another great story. It was kind of a senior sign, $25,000 in the 14th round by the Orioles. And never really, as bad as the Orioles were, they never even really gave him a chance to do anything. And they kind of just gave him away to the, the Giants. And he's become a, a very useful player for the Giants. Um, Danny Jansen was a, a high school catcher from Wisconsin. You know, you know I love my Wisconsin high school products. Who doesn't, really? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Danny Jansen... You know, got a hundred thousand dollars in the sixteenth round. He's had a you know decent career. Um, those are probably the biggest success stories um, from from low in the draft. I mean, the, the cheapest guy in the first round were a couple of seniors. Kendall Graven signed for five thousand dollars, <laughs> and Tyler Rogers signed for seventy five hundred dollars. And they've both had you know nice careers as as big league relievers. But, yeah, you can find relievers anywhere. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just it's you know the, the you know I keep paraphrasing our, our good friend Chris Buckley the draft is hard and it, it's not easy and you know I'm just looking I, I'm still playing with the order but like my top 10 picks I've got five first rounders and then there's 12th rounder and McNeil fourth rounder and Bellinger second rounder Ryan McMahon third rounder and Tyler O'Neill Tyler Maley might slip in there seventh rounder Adam Frazier might slip in there sixth rounder I mean in retrospect, this you know the funny thing too is in terms of it being a relatively thin draft, usually there's there's two or three big names of guys who didn't sign who became really good players, and the best guy in that regard is Andrew Benintendi, who I think obviously peaked very early in his career and is kind of headed in the other direction. You know, he's just kind of okay now. Like I don't look at him as like a superstar and like the second best player he didn't sign when he was drafted was Cal Quantrill. Um, hmm. You know, who's fine. I mean, those had yeah. a good year last year, but like, we're not talking about like, Oh, you know, some dude was drafted, you know, Aaron judge was drafted out of high school in 2010. Like there, there aren't even big names like that. It just was not a very good year in the draft, especially for pitchers. I, I'm looking here. You know, as a, I know it's not the best statistic, but as a quick catch all statistic, 
you know, wins gives you an idea of, you know, relative idea of longevity and success. The most wins anybody has on uh, out of this draft is, is Marco Gonzalez with 63. Um, right. And he's had, you know, injuries and, and, and things like that that have held him back. Uh, at times he's been, he's been very, very good. And, and I say the most saves is Corey Knable with 72 and the same thing. He's been very good at times when healthy, right. but it just, it's not, it, it, it did not pan out very well. Uh, you know, looking back at it. While, while I'm not asking, yeah. yeah, while I'm not asking you to do this, like it'd be interesting to see compared to other redrafts, you know, to, to, and maybe this is putting a positive spin on it, but you know, this is the, the year of the, the late round picks making good, you know, if, if you're going to sort of put a positive spin on it, as opposed to the first rounders who didn't pan out. Uh, you know, there, you've so many late round picks in here and they've had different levels of success. Uh, you know, I'm looking at, you know, uh, a, a guy that uh, on your list who may or may not make the final list, but Brad Keller is a guy who was an eighth round pick, uh, you know, signed for $125,000 and, you know, didn't get anywhere until he was a, a rule five pick uh, and has, you know, had himself a, a nice little career so far with, a you know, maybe more to come. Uh, so I, it's more about guys like that than it is. And uh, maybe that's the optimist in me. I'd rather look at those guys than the, you know, those, those first round guys who, who didn't pan out. That's fair. I, I was just looking at my 2012 redraft where nine of the first 10 guys were first round picks or supplemental first yeah, rounders. So. And, and the crazy thing last year was when I did the 2012 redraft, I believe it's the only draft in history where you would, you would take the top two guys one, two. Like I went Correa Buxton one two, just like they went in real life. You could you could argue Corey Seager in there. Uh, Buxton was healthy at the time. I might go Corey Seager now, but um, but that one panned out more according to form. But yeah, 2013 was just you know, and I do think you know I was talking about the college bats. They they were really in a period where they were really toning down the college bats. They they'd done that like in the pre- last couple of years, and I think teams were having a little bit of a hard time figuring out what to make of college hitters and college pitchers because the bats were, were basically garbage um, designed. Like they, they, they overcorrected. The bats had gotten so out of hand that they overcorrected and nobody could do anything. Uh, nobody could hit home runs. Like I said, the year Chris Bryant out homered three quarters of the teams in college baseball by himself. Um, he was kind of the outlier. And I wonder if that had something to do with it, that the teams were having a hard time figuring out, okay, you know, what do the numbers mean compared to what they meant in the past? It was also the second year, the bonus pool system. So teams were still kind of tweaking how they attack that. Um, but for whatever the reason, 2013, not a, not a draft that will go down in, uh, in draft history. Like I, I'd be curious and I have not quantified this and I'm not going to take the time today, but I would think that the gap between Aaron judge and the number two player in his draft is one of the bigger gaps we've seen in recent drafts. No, I think that's a fair, especially with Chris Bryant kind of tailing off after, you know, a very promising start to his career. Right. right. All right. Good stuff. Uh, that will be up on the site in the coming days. So everyone should go check uh, that one out as well. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll look at this week's prospect team of the week, led by a recent friend of the pod and answer a question as always from the mailbag coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast. When you 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back at the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis bringing you home for this week by looking at our prospect team of the week for this week. I'm just going to run through the, the squad. Dylan Dingler, the Tigers, is our catcher. Logan Davis, the A's, our first baseman. The Reds, Matt McLean at second base. The Orioles, Jordan Westbrook at third. Marcelo Meyer is the shortstop from the Red Sox. Astros outfielder, Justin Durden. Uh, Jordan Beck from the Rockies, Ethan Wilson from the Phillies. That's the outfield. Joey Cantillo is the lefty from the Guardians. Kumar Rocker from the Rangers is a right-hander and a reliever from the Marlins is Sean Reynolds. Marcelo Meyer joined us on the podcast uh, last week, and we were sort of talking about how he started off a little bit slow and was you know starting to perform a little better and then he just absolutely went off uh, among ranked prospects. And th- these are all guys from, from top 30 lists. Uh, he was tied for the overall lead with Justin Durden in total bases. He had 516 for the week, had an OPS over 1,500, uh, three homers, 12 runs batted in. Uh, just an absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous week. So uh, leads us to tell prospects like you know how to find us clearly coming on the MLB pipeline podcast is a key to just absolutely going off at least for the, for the following week. We'll see how much staying power a podcast appearance has Jim. I, I just hope that, that it doesn't have to get activated by me having uh was I having carpet installed and having to go do the, do the interview That's for right. my car and it was cutting out and I had to redub my questions. It was terrible. So hopefully me podcasting with apparently poor Wi-Fi in my driveway. Uh, I, I hope that was not the key. I hope that's not a that's requirement like the for the worst, guy to go off. That would so be like, like the worst Marvel superhero origin story ever. Yeah. So like, if like we get like, who, who are like, let's say we get Jordan Lawler on next or something and he doesn't go on a hot streak, then I'm going to have to go sit in my car for future interviews. So I'm, I hope that's All right, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and we'll report back uh, as we try to figure out what manifests from the podcast appearance into the performance that Marcelo Meyer had uh, this past week. Obviously not, uh, not the only player who had a, a good week as we listed. Uh, you know, it's nice to see uh, Kumar Rocker uh, make the, the list. I think people were very curious to, Kind of see what the the official start of his his pro career w- would be like, Jim. I know we saw him in, in the in the fall league, but you know that was a very controlled situation. It was kind of just getting his feet wet. Uh, but so far, uh, it it's been been pretty good. No, it, it's been really good. I mean, this is this is not the Kumar rocker we saw in the fall league. This is more like the Kumar rocker. We saw at Vanderbilt. I mean, this last week he had a start. He went six innings. He gave up one hit, struck out eight against two walks. 
He's pitched pretty well the entire season. I mean, so far, five starts in in high A, 37 strikeouts, six walks in 23 innings. He's only given up seven runs. Three of those starts have been scoreless, I believe. And there's there's been a couple noticeable differences from what we saw in Arizona. In, in Arizona, he looked to me like a slider, like a guy who was going to be like, if you didn't know anything about Kumar Rocker, you're looking at him, you're saying, okay, well, that guy's going to have to be a slider happy reliever. I, I think I told the story. I, I went to one of his games. I charted pitches. He threw 31 fastballs. He only threw 14 of them for strikes. And when he put it over the plate, he got whacked. Like the only, he got one swing and miss on a fastball uh, on 31 fastballs, which obviously is not a very good percentage. And the slider was working and that was about it. And, you know, his arm slot was noticeably lower, which made you wonder how healthy is he? You know, there's still concerns some uh, about the elbow and the shoulder. He, his arm, he's thrown from a, a, a higher slot, um, still getting kind of a flat approach angle, but he, but he's throwing, he's commanding and controlling the fastball a lot better. The fastball's become a swing and miss pitch again. The, the slider continues to just overmatch hitters, which has been the case for most of his career at every level. Um, I, I dare say, I think we got to start thinking about maybe putting Kumar Rocker on the top 100 prospects list pretty soon. Like it's, it's encouraging. I I wish we had a little bit more data as to his stuff, but we can, we can track that down when we're not, not chasing the draft down. And, and Jonathan, I'm I'm giving you a a on the spot pop quiz right now. You had no time Uh to prepare. Who you, who do you take? Who do you want long-term Jack lighter or Kumar rocker? Oh, wow. Jack lighter had six shutout innings last week too. had, Had struggled before that. trying not to like have a recency bias, right? Cause if you're just going based on what we've seen so far this year, I think you go with Kumar rocker. You know what? I, I might, I might still take Jack lighter. I still think that he might figure it out. And I always liked the pitchability better, which he clearly lost for most of this first year plus of his, of his career. What, which way this is not, to be fair, this isn't really a pop quiz. This is like an if the pop quiz were putting like you on the essay. spot right now. No, it's it's tough because I like Jack Lighter too. I, I was lighter over Rocker coming out of the draft, and then after Rocker's health, and then after Rocker not looking great in the fall league, I still have faith in Jack Lighter. He's walking five point nine guys per nine innings this year. Small sample size, sure, twenty six innings. But he walked five point four per nine innings last year. He's still giving up nearly hit per inning. Yeah. We just have not seen the control come in. So again, I'm not saying he's a finished product and and it's over and we have a definitive answer. I'm just saying that coming into the year, even after Jack Leiter struggled in double A, I was like, okay, I think he's going to figure some things out. I was clearly lighter over rocker. And now I think you could go either way. You could, you could, different levels. Kumar rockers in high A, Jack Leiter's in double A. Kumar rocker has pitched a lot better and more consistently and thrown a lot more strikes than Jack Leiter this year. So it's just interesting how that how that has turned. And and like I said, like it's it, it's it's hard. <laughs> Jobs are hard, Jonathan. Now I feel like I'm 95% draft. I want to dig into some Kumar Rocker with some scouts. I'll have to figure out a way to do that. But yeah, um, another time, another time. He, Especially he's been impressive. If he but, but speak, this. I was gonna say, speaking of guys who had kind of a disappointing fall league performance, who have turned it around significantly, and again, a guy we may need to talk about. On the top 100 again, he's been on the past, but Matt McClain, yep. Jonathan, hit 232 last year in Double A, got kind of a little power hungry, and then he hit 190 in the Fall League. But not only was he great last week, 
he's been one of the most productive hitters in the minors all season. Yeah, that's what makes us so encouraging. It's not just that he had this great week. He's been he's been very good, and you know, for the week he he hit four forty. His his ops was over fourteen hundred. Had a couple of homers. Uh, he had uh, seven extra base hits overall. Uh, Eleven walks. Um, and, and you know, it's been interesting because the Reds have been aggressive with him. They sent him to Double A to to start. His first full season, which, you know, I think nowadays it's not even that surprising for a guy billed as a, an advanced college hitter. And I, and I think you're right. I think he just tried to do too much because he does have some extra base pop uh, and he drew a ton of walks last year. But the strikeout rate was was really high. So he, I think he he just you know, you know was sort of like a mini three true outcome kind of guy because he walked 70 times and hit 17 homers, but only hit 232 as a result. And then I think by the fall, like he was just gassed. Uh, and, but the reds, I kind of thought maybe he'd repeat double a, uh, but he had a good spring and they moved him up to triple to a and he's in Louisville and the strikeout rate is down. He's still drawing walks. The power is still showing up. He's, he's slugging six sixty seven for the year. He's got nine homers. Uh, and I, I'm beginning to wonder without looking at the, the, the reds middle infield situation when he might get, uh, a call up to to the big leagues because I think he's really kind of in a in a bit of a a groove overall. Um, his OPS is over eleven hundred for the year. You know, there's no need to to rush him up. I think it's been interesting. You know, he continues to split time between shortstop and second base. I think he can play either capably. I still see him more as a, an everyday second baseman if he's going to settle in one place. But I also think he'd be fine at short. You know, steady but not spectacular and. The Reds have a ton of middle infielders or left side of the infield types. So second but they have base Jonathan India at sense. second base is the tough part. Right, right. So you know, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure where you know where he goes. Now, Matt McClain back in the day played a bunch of outfield at UCLA. And I don't know if that's something they would consider. He's not played an inning of that in the outfield, but if it, it there might come a time in the near future that he is going to uh, work his way into the lineup because of how he swings the bat. And I think the defensive flexibility, even if it's just on both sides of second base, uh, will certainly work in his favor. Another former friend of the pod, but I, I don't think we can take credit for that one because that was like a year ago. Well, you know, I was going to say, in terms of him coming up to the Reds, Jonathan, you know, Jose Barrera continues to struggle with the bat at shortstop. His defensive metrics haven't been great. I think it's, Fair. We're going to agree. Reds probably aren't making the postseason this year. Right now, their their playoff odds are 0.3 percent. Yeah, I would call McLean up sooner or later. I, I don't think he's a long term shortstop, but if Barrero doesn't start hitting, I, I'd call McLean up say by June 1st and just see what he looks like at shortstop. And because you because you might as well find out. Like rather than let's right. say they they make some moves and they build some positive momentum, they're going to contend in well, let's say 2024. Why not find out in 2023 if you think he can play shortstop at the big league level? Well, and if he can't, then you start thinking, okay, do we put him at second? Then what do we do with India? Do we put him in the outfield? What do we, you know, like right. you might as well find it. Like you're not risking a, a championship season. Put him at shortstop and see what he can do. Find out. And I think they have the benefit of the fact that Ellie De La Cruz got off to a, a late start because of injury. Uh, I think he's going to start knocking on that door soon uh you know the other day he had a 
one of those very ridiculous stat casty kind of days where he threw a ball almost you know 100 miles an hour across the diamond then hit a home run at 116 miles an hour off the bat very O'Neill Cruz-ish uh so there's a window I think where you could bring do exactly what you said and let McLean go and then figure out what to do with Ellie De La Cruz who's played some third base yeah you know, exactly also, so you're yep. playing for the future right now. You're not you're not jeopardizing a wild card run. So like he's hitting. If 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 you decide that Barrero's not going to hit, um, any any like, look, I liked Jose Barrero as a prospect. Yeah, me too. But he's you know he's he's got. I mean, it's not like he's played for, but like he's a career 183 hitter in the big leagues and 400 plate appearances. And like I said, the defensive metrics haven't been like outstanding to where you're like, okay, this guy's winning the Gold Gloves. So we're gonna keep running him out there. You might as well find out what you have in Matt McClain. And and look, if you you bring him up and you're like. Ah, you know, I don't think this guy's a long-term big league shortstop. Although, I mean, these guys played Kyle Farmer at shortstop too for a while in the rebuilding process. You, you at least get him at bats, and then you then you, you figured out, okay, with 2023, we figured out Matt McClain can hit big league pitching, and he's not a big league shortstop. So, what do we want to do going into 2024? Like, you yeah. might as well start find out the answers to these questions. So it's, uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It's good to see. You know, I, I, you know, it. We were remiss. Kumar Rocker has been on the podcast too. We've had him on the podcast. Like, like I think it was a. I think I interviewed him for the podcast. Right. Maybe during pandemic times. Um. But uh, they they both were on on the podcast. So clearly, we'll, we're on to something with appear on the podcast, and and good things will follow. It took a little while to rub off on Matt McLean, but uh, so be it. All right, let's uh, finish things up as we always do with a question from the mailbag. This one comes from. Ed Casey at Casey W socks. Uh, and Jim picked this mostly because he needed the pat on the back. I'm kidding. Um, you picked the question. Actually, <laughs> I, I let you pick the question. I the couldn't make a decision. I, I was too yes. addled from looking at the pondering the 2013 draft. Yeah, that's so. fair. That's where I did pick this. It, well, you know, cause it ties into the mock draft. Uh, so Ed writes, hi, Jim. I really enjoyed your mock draft last week. I noticed a pick 25. You noted several prep hitters that could go in this range off the board, range of the board. Of these players, which one has had the most positive buzz of late? Also, and I appreciate the inclusivity here, do you and Jonathan Mayo have a favorite from this group? Okay, well, I guess we should identify the group. The, the group I mentioned that we're getting some first-round buzz, were, were, these are all high school shortstops. Kevin McGonigal from Pennsylvania, Adrian Santana from Florida, Rock Chalowski from Arizona, George Lombard Jr. from Florida, Walker Martin from Colorado. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we yeah. should also say that, you know, you had Dylan Head, who's a yeah. high school outfielder, go 25. You had Ralphie Velasquez go 28. Uh, you've mentioned him a couple of times, so a couple of other guys who actually – and then Bryce Eldridge right above him at 24, who most people – he's a two-way guy from Virginia, but most people are looking at as a bat. Yeah, exactly. And it's – um. So anyway, I was trying to just throw out other guys who could who could possibly go, and and now I'm self editing Jonathan. I, I should have I should have listed those guys with the 28th pick because Ralphie Velasquez was my last high school hitter. I I, I got discombobulated apparently, but um, that's okay. I think the guy who's gotten the most buzz. I'm not saying he's the most likely to be the first rounder, but when we were working on the 150, and we ca- we had more people say you need to move this guy further up your list, is Adrian Santana, Jonathan, who's from your neck of the draft in yep. Florida. Um, Tell everybody you, you know more about Adrian Santana than I do. Tell tell everybody what makes Adrian Santana coveted. Well, you know one of the things you know the, the first thing that scouts are looking for is can can a guy play shortstop? And as often, okay, listen, we just talked about Matt McClain. Uh, you know, uh, as a college guy, a lot of times 
they may play shortstop in high school, especially in high school, or they may even play shortstop in college, but they don't have the chance to play shortstop. So first and foremost, Santana may be the best defensive shortstop in the class. Um, you know, he, he is very, very good there. Then the, uh, beyond that is his almost top of the scale speed. Uh, he was at NHSI and didn't do that much offensively, but it was the kind of home to first times, Jim, where scouts are showing, you know, checking with each other on the stopwatch because his times from the right side of the plate were, were otherworldly. So those are the, those are the two things that really stick out. The question with Adrian Santana is how much impact with the bat will he have? He's a switch hitter right now. There are some people who think he, he should not switch hit, uh, but then he'll have a, every once in a while, you know, hit a couple of homers left-handed or, you know, or, or show the, the ability. He, he has raw power. Uh, I saw it in PDP league in, in batting practice. Uh, it, it's legit. So I think he moves up if you believe that that can be unlocked consistently. So, so who is your favorite player from this group? I'll let you go first, and then I'll give mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that uh, I'm going to go with Kevin McGonigal, who I've talked about before, uh, mostly because I really liked him over the summer in PDP League. And I like guys who are just pure hitters. His spring has been okay. It hasn't been, you know, fantastic. Uh, you know, he plays in, in Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, I haven't drilled down to look at bat to at bat, you know, how often he's being pitched to or things like that. You know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to try to do too much, but the left-handed hitter probably is, uh, ends up at second base. Uh, but he's a guy who, uh, told me and has you know, talked about it a bunch of times. He idolized Chase Utley, uh, and there are some similarities there. Uh, you know, you know hard-nosed guy, he can really hit. I think there's going to be power to come, and he'll be a very good second baseman. You know, he, he makes the plays at short. I think the, the arm uh, in the range might be a little, you know, a touch short to play there. If he were to go on to college, he probably could keep playing shortstop, but I think he ends up at second base and ends up being a really, really good all-around player on the right side of the infield. How about you? I don't know if this is going to shock you, but I'm going to go off the board. My my, my favorite oh, high school hitter, I did not include, because I don't think he's quite having first-round buzz, but you know I love Cooper Pratt, the high school yep. shortstop from Mississippi. Like There's some Gunnar Henderson parallels. He hits right-handed, Gunnar hit left-handed, but they were both tall, physical shortstops who played at private high schools in the Deep South potential for solid or better tools across the board. And we, I think we talked about him a couple podcasts ago, Jonathan, he hasn't had a bad spring. Like he's not facing very good competition at a, a Mississippi private high school competition, but like one, like he hasn't, like he was so good in, in Jupiter at the world Wood bat association world series in October. that I think people expected him to even kick it up another notch. And he more is kind of held serve. And I think subconsciously, we I forget why this came up on our podcast a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it. Like the thought is he's going to be very difficult to sign away from Mississippi and he hasn't had that unbelievable spring to where you're going to go all in and pay him. So like, okay, maybe I don't need to go see Cooper Pratt again because I, I, I think he's going to wind up being a rebel instead of turning pro. And I think that works against him a little bit, but I, I still like Cooper Pratt. 
And I don't know if it's just because all those guys I, I listed were guys in your half of the draft and Cooper Pratt's in my half. And I've talked to more people about him. I still am a believer in Cooper Pratt. I, so he'd, he'd be my favorite. I'm not saying I would definitely take him in the first round, but he would be my favorite among the high school hitters who I didn't project to go in the first round. If I could have any of them, I would take Cooper Pratt, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you bring up a, an, an interesting subject. We, may, we Maybe we should table this and not get into it now, but it is where signability, even if indirectly, impacts how we end up ranking guys because if some guys don't get seen because they know that, well, I don't see him as a first-rounder, and if he's not a first-rounder, then he's not signable, so I'm not going to go back in to see him, especially the higher-up decision-makers who we elicit feedback for our lists from. Uh, so that it gets interesting, you know, you know, rock Chalowski in, in that group, you know, his dad is a, is, is an area scout, uh, in the area, incredibly talented. The question is, you know, he's going to have to go pretty high to not go on to college, but ton of tools, really athletic football player, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it does impact, you know, there are teams that probably aren't going to go see a rock Chalowski or a Cooper Pratt for the reasons that you laid out. So I think that's a sort of, an interesting additional subject matter uh, coming off of this conversation. You, you got, and you have to, I mean, it's tough because you don't have so many players to cover, but you kind of have to stay on guys too. Cause I remember last year you saw my face when the White Sox took Noah Schultz in the first round of the draft. And, and most of the guys I talked to thought he was signed, sealed and delivered for Vanderbilt. Like he'd right. pitched four innings all spring cause he had mono. Um, he'd gone and pitched in a summer college league, which I guess showed some willingness to like show what he could do. But like, if you backed off a of Noah Schultz, you didn't see him throw well in the in the college summer league, and you know we'll see. I mean, he's he's a really interesting prospect in the White Sox organization. So, Ed, great question. I, I'm going to give Ed, Ed, Jonathan because of the question, the 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 two part complexity and the discussion ensued. I'm giving Ed Casey a seventy on the twenty wow. to eighty scale. Maybe we should start grading the questions. Let's start I'm, doing that. I'm giving Ed Casey a seventy for the question. It was very thought provoking. Wow. All right. Stevie D, others who send in questions, take note. We're, we're going to start giving you a grade on the 20 to 80 scouting scale uh, on the questions. All right. That's going to wrap things up for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Or if you want to review The Odd Couple uh, or Back to the Future, that's fine as well. Thanks for listening. See you next week.